Hey everyone, welcome to the third episode of Justice Seekers Next Generation. My name is Sanjana, I'm a teen staff writer here at Fox ATL, and I'm the host of Justice Seekers. So today we're going to be talking about performative activism and slacktivism. So this is actually the second episode we've talked about these issues. Um, so be sure to check out our last episode. Justice Seekers is on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and so much more. So be sure to check us out at BoxATL on all those platforms. Our episodes come out every Tuesday evening, so be sure to tune in. So just a little recap from last week. Um, we talked a lot about slacktivism and different types and some prime examples and failed examples. So slacktivism is when people support a cause by taking simpler measures and trying to find an easier route and they're not really engaged and devoted to making a change. We talked about like positive impact from digital activism, like the ALS bucket challenge where they raised billions of dollars for people suffering from a disease that wasn't well known. Um, and we kind of juxtaposed that to other well-known events such as Blackout Tuesday, where social media like overpowered, um, how do I say this? More like non-useful resources for people that need help weren't available because it was being clogged by black squares in their feed. So that was a little bit of a recap, but the first thing we're gonna talk about today is collectivism. So this is a form of formative activism and it can also be known as hashtag activism. So I honestly only heard about this term a couple weeks ago. So this phrase refers to like internet-based internet slacktivism where you like sign online petitions or you're sending like letters to politicians or businesses. And like, it's kind of saying that social media makes it easy to demonstrate support for cause or organization. And like the main focus of digital organizations has become like boosting participation. And by asking like fewer viewers to like take part and what's happened is people have simply just become lazier with their activism. And it also can be like, how many likes does a campaign receive, you know? They wanna have like quantity over quality. You know, for me personally, I'd rather have 10 people sign a petition who are doing, you know, lobbying work and really support this cause than have a hundred signatures of people who just repost aesthetically pleasing infographics on their Instagram page. I don't know about you guys, but that's really how I feel. There's another term that was coined a little bit of ago, a little bit ago um, by Terry Nugent. And um, this term is called PowerPoint activism. Um, so this term is kind of when people only post like aesthetically pleasing graphics and that support that relay the message of a certain cause, but it's not attached to any resources, anything that can help people in need, anything that's providing like current information. Like these graphics that I've seen aren't even relaying like information. It's just like a person's face and their name. Like you're not even giving links to reliable news sites and the amount of people I see reposting them it's crazy like how can so many people repost a aesthetic infographic instead of information with like hotlines and you know certain petitions and that's another thing I kind of want to talk about petitions you've got to be sure you're like signing petitions actually do work. Sometimes you can find petitions on government websites that like actually make a difference, but then, you know, a change.org petition created by your friend in high school probably isn't going to end up doing much. Yeah, you're showing that, you know, you care and you support the cause, but you're showing it in the wrong way. 
So in general, performative activism is just extremely dangerous and should be avoided at all costs. It has the potential to distract people's attention and divert their attention away from vital issues and causes and only focuses on the activists rather than communities affected. And it, rather than disseminating a message, the attention changes to who will be anointed the day's social justice king. I actually like that term. You know, who's going to be the most person who posts the coolest infographics about activism? Who talks about it the most? It's not who talks about it the most at this point. It's who is doing the most. Talking is not the same as doing. I think it's essential that we remember that. And I've been thinking about this. I also have a couple more lingering thoughts I kind of want to share with you all. So this is something that I saw on TikTok a couple months ago. I kind of forgot about it, but when I was doing research for this episode, I was like, oh my gosh, I have to talk about this. So typically um, every June is Pride Month. So when Pride Month arrives, businesses, every single business, you know, they're posting rainbow flags, they have rainbow merch, or I went to the um, Pichu Road Race this year and on the, it was actually, it was the beginning of July, July 4th, but it was still like, you know, June had just ended and they were like rainbow flags painted all over the front of some businesses, like on the roads, like the concrete. And then I went a couple of weeks later, they were all gone. And I'm pretty sure it didn't just get rained on, pretty sure these businesses take them out. And I think it's this term called rainbow washing. And it's when a company support for LGBTQ plus people appear to be more of like a marketing ploy. Like how many of these companies are actually doing stuff to help like queer people? Like is a little t-shirt that says love is love enough to halt the like the amount of oppression or like the violence and discrimination that certain queer people face in certain countries or certain cities or different households, you know? Like I'm honestly not sure where I stand on this topic. Like Pride Month is only one month. And, you know, there are another, like, Black History Month or, you know, like, Indigenous People's Month. There's things like that. So there obviously are different things to celebrate year-round. And I get it when a company can't celebrate one person's identity forever. That, you know, that makes sense. But are they even supporting LGBTQ people when it's not Pride Month, like we don't ask for, you know, to you to make your profile a Pride photo when it's not Pride Month, but are you still doing things to, if you can, to better like these people's lives? I think that's something that's been lingering in the back of my brain. I just wanted to share with you all. Um, so now it's time for our fun fact. So today's fun fact is actually a book recommendation. Um, so this book is actually something I picked up at the library like last week and then I ended up loving like the writing style of the book and I felt so much more educated after reading it and I learned so much I just knew I had to share it with you all. So the book title is So You Want to Talk About Race and this is a nonfiction book and I believe it was published in 2018 and like the title of each chapter was like a question regarding like race in modern America and I thought that was so cool so the each chapter was like a question and then the chapter like the contents of the chapter like the writing it was giving you like information it was kind of answering the question or giving the author's perspective and opinions and it gives so many recommendations in the book it's filled with recommendations about how to properly address and discuss these issues that we see so much and I think that was the best part like it's always, I think it's very interesting, like 
how do you discuss these topics in like a modern or Gen Z filled environment? Like, how do we approach this? We all know in, in our brains that these exist, but how do we have a productive and effective conversation? If you're wondering that, this is the book for you. The author discusses many of America's injustices as well as like white supremacy. And this book has like really educated me so much. And I recommend either buying it or checking it out, checking to see if your local library has it because I think this is honestly, this is a must read. Uh, but one of my other points that I kind of want to talk about today is something that I think was like huge in like September or October, um, kind of both ones, honestly, like early October, mid to late September. So it was the Met Gala. Um, I think this year it was the kind of theme was like America. Um, so it really was focusing on like our country and I think a lot of people took different perspectives. Um, one of the main characters from Riverdale ended up wearing like the state flower from every state. And then some people had um, dresses or outfits that relayed um, or talked about issues they were passionate about. So I was actually reading on the Indiana Daily Student um, News that I saw this like question quote kind of thing. And I just, it's, I, it's definitely stuck with me. It said, and I quote, how depressing is it that activism has been reduced to engagement on social media, an element of persona or entertainment? I think that's the ultimate question here. Honestly, like, that's crazy. Like, that's what it has come to, you know? And last week we talked about, if you haven't watched it, we talked about, um, traditional versus digital activism, which one is more effective? And I think we kind of conclude that traditional activism has done the most in our community. And examples of traditional activism can be like lobbying or going um, or to protest, you know, which we still do see occasionally, but it was just more effective back then, in my opinion. So another um, kind of thing I want to talk about are the specific outfits. So there are two that I kind of want to focus on. And I actually, when the Met, a couple of days after the Met Gala happened, I wrote an article at Vox um, about kind of performative activism allyship um, through AOC's outfit, because I mean, that was in incredibly controversial. Everybody was talking about it. And I happened to be one of those people who I didn't think it was performative. And I thought that for many reasons, which I'm not going to go in like crazy depth right now. But if you want to check out that article, it's on Vox ATL. I recommend you read it. But it was Congresswoman AOC's and then actress and model, model Cara Delevingne's outfit. It was, it was a massive debate. I mean, this was taking over my Instagram feed and my TikTok for you page and like all the news sites. I, I saw it everywhere, honestly. And I think it might be difficult to like define performative activism at times because who are we to judge? I think it's tough to tell where a person's support begins and stops when it comes to social media posts. But you know, this event, it caused crazy controversy. You know, these people are public figures, politicians. So if you didn't know, AOC um, is a Demo democratic representative a congresswoman from New York. She's from the Bronx. Um, and yeah, so she wore a white dress and on the back in big red letters, it said, tax the rich. And this received a lot of attention. And 
was this a type of like performative activism? Is the response different now that she's a member of Congress? You know, how can someone, someone like AOC is a Congresswoman, um, you know, she actually works like for the government, she is making change. So is that really performative? And is the answer different now that there were BLM protests outside the Met Gala? Does it make it different that the dress was donated and the ticket was free? It's all these kind of things that factor in. And I don't think AOC's dress was even like the uh, most um, outstanding or not outstanding, I'd say like the most attention grabbing thing that was at the Met Gala that people seem to call performative activism. I think it was Carl Delevingne's Peg the Patriarchy um, shirt. It was kind of like a buckle shirt and it was white and red letters on the front. It said, peg the patriarchy. And I think this statement was a little bit ambiguous and honestly may have been a little harmful to some. But is it after all our obligation to monitor other people's activism? I'm honestly, I'm not sure where I stand on that. We rarely know someone's full like depth on an issue based on what they wear, what they post. I think that's maybe it's just not our place to judge. Of course, it's not always clear what one can do, especially when dealing with like issues that people cannot directly influence. But I think it's important to make sure you're doing everything you can to bring about change and not just seem like it. And that's kind of the purpose of these two episodes that we did. I'm trying to kind of relay the fact that you should be doing everything you can to make change. And obviously, this has a certain depth, you know, we're not asking you to do crazy things, but try to do more than just post on social media and things like that. But that concludes what I wanted to talk to talk about today on today's episode. I hope you all enjoyed the episode. And just a reminder, you can follow Vox ATL on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and you can also listen on the voxatl.org site. Um, So I hope you all enjoyed this episode and I will see you all next Tuesday. Bye.